Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up. A veteran of Microsoft, Groupon, and now Mode, engineering leader Ushashi Chakraborty has gotten used to hearing the most abnormal feedback. I love coming to your meetings. She realized after some reflection that her extensive improv experience through Chicago's famed Second City Conservatory had instilled in her skills and habits that were just as useful for running engineering meetings as they were on stage. In this episode, she recaps a presentation she made at the 2018 New York NASDAQ CTO Summit entitled Running Engineering Meetings Using Improv Skills. Great to have you. This is so fun. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Leigh. I'm very, very happy to be here chatting with you. Could you give just a two or three minute background of you know yourself and your work before we dive in? I'm currently a director of engineering at Mode. Uh, it is a startup in the Bay Area. I've recently moved from Chicago uh, to move to San Francisco, and I'm so far loving it. Before uh, Mode, I was at uh, Groupon, where I was an engineering manager for about five years. Uh, and then before that, I had worked in Microsoft uh, as a software engineer for a few years. Uh, at Mode, I'm currently looking at back-end engineering and uh, having a great time. It is a growing company, and uh, it's uh, so far been phenomenal experience. And so off mic, you and I talked about an experience that you have had in your past that I think was very interesting and that you recently gave a talk at a CTO conference, I believe at the NASDAQ. Please go into that. This is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, about four, four and a half years back, um, I was going through a phase where it seemed like I was just working and then coming home and uh, perhaps socializing with friends. Uh, but that was my life. And I was thinking that, you know, I should pick up some some sort of a hobby that I do, that I'm doing regularly. And uh, I was looking into my high school years and saw that I had a lot of like theater that I had done. So I wanted to go and do some theater. But at the same time, I did not have so much time on, in hand that I would have to learn scripts and things like that. So a friend suggested that I could do improv. And I was in Chicago and Chicago has second city. So I went and, uh, you know, went to do that school and started taking a few classes. And over the course of a few months, that became something very, very important uh, and something that I started doing quite regularly. And then a year later, I had finished with uh, the entire course of, uh, you know, the starting out like anybody can take that course. So I finished a year of that and I got eligible for auditioning for something called the conservatory, which is more like improv for actors, and then uh, got through that audition and uh, went through another year of uh, training, this time a very strict training. We were doing a lot of writing, we were doing lots of shows, and then I finally graduated as a, a conservatory, conservatory graduate from Second City. Um, and after that, I had done like three to four months of uh, shows around various small theaters in Chicago. So tying that back to uh, engineering and my regular work, I started seeing in the last 
two years, I was getting uh, a lot of great feedback, particularly around uh, the way I ran engineering meetings, which is very uh, interesting and odd because, you know, people usually might come and say things like, you're a good leader or I like reporting to you. But uh, one usually doesn't hear a feedback like, I love coming to your meetings, right? So I was a little bit taken aback when I would get that feedback uh, regularly from peers, um, my direct reports, our managers. And I started looking into what had changed. And when I started looking into what changed, I started realizing that a lot of uh, the things that were happening were habits that had formed by doing so much improv on stage. And then I started putting that together and uh, understanding how that can, how I could coach others on the same so that they can, they can do the same without going through that many years of improv. That's fantastic. So what are those lessons? I'm sure you've distilled this out a little bit. Um, yeah, please tell the audience how, how can they do that? Absolutely. So to go into the lessons a little bit, uh, I'll give a little understanding of uh, improv or what happens when you're on stage. So for those of uh, the listeners that do not know what improv is, improv is a form of theater where you go on stage and you will see a scene that is completely unscripted. Um, so it is based on suggestions that the audience is giving. So it might seem like something that has gone completely unrehearsed, but there are still ways uh, and uh, training that goes in that makes a, a particular improv scene perhaps much better than another one. And what goes in is what, what actors are trying to do on stage, that even if the scene or the topic is something that is completely unscripted and this has been just heard of now and they're trying to develop it on stage, they're constantly trying to make sure that there is a story and there are relatable characters. So as audience, when you see something on stage that has a story that you relate to, you, you're going to like it more. So if you see um, two coworkers or two um, friends talking about daily stuff that you would talk to your friend about or you would talk to your coworker about, you're suddenly like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of relate to this. And you're laughing with that. So the key is story. And, uh, and with story comes like, characters and beats characters being the people that are playing uh, in the scene and then beats being the progression so they're also trying to make sure as they're in the scene that they're building and the scene is going somewhere now think about an engineering meeting in an engineering meeting what is something that every engineering meeting needs to have and what are we told that before you set up a meeting you should have this it is an agenda, right? So you are always going to have an agenda and every engineering meeting is going to have some attendees. So it is quite like the beats and the characters from, from the improv world or from the scene. But now, think of it this in this way. You, have, you might have heard a lot of people say in terms of, uh, in terms of a story, things like, I love listening to your story. It relates to me. Or I love uh, loved listening to your talk the other day. Whatever you spoke about, that, that was so relatable and it spoke to me. Have you ever heard anybody say something like, I love your agenda. It speaks to me. <laughs> so agenda is an extremely technical word, right? Uh, it, is, uh, it lacks heart with, where a story has heart and hence people relate to it. So I'm not asking you that, you know, go and change the word 
uh, agenda with the word story now. It's not going to help anything. You keep your agenda as agenda in the meeting. But the key is, can you treat your meeting as if you're running a story? And can you think of these attendees as characters? That means every character has to play a role. Even if they are silent characters, they're still there in the scene for a reason. They're, they're either taking something out of it because they're going to contribute to something later on, maybe to the story, or they are in it because they're contributing something directly. And that is key. And also understanding how does it tie to the bigger picture. So constantly my, my idea is to run meetings in that fashion. And perhaps in a certain way, it shows some heart and hence people find it more relatable. So that would be the first concept here. Uh, I wanted to pause here for a quick second and see if you have any questions before I move to the second. Well, you're, you're reminding me of sort of the, you know, Joseph Campbell and hero of a thousand faces and the arc of the story and, you know, that everybody gets to be <laughs> the hero in their, their own way and that there's only, you know, X number of story types. And so, you know, I'm, I'm totally relating to this and, uh, you know, I can, I can see exactly where you're going. I really want to hear uh, about the character development because I think I can think of my engineering meetings that I'm in and there are definitely some character archetypes. So I wonder how you play that. Yeah, absolutely. So with, with the case of the, with the characters or people in the meeting, again, I go back to thinking of it from the improv standpoint. And once again, there's this disclaimer here. I had not understood that this was like these habits that had developed were coming from improv until I paused and kind of reflected. But now that I look back, I understand where it came from. So with the character development, there was something very key that our improv directors, our teachers would often tell us. So sometimes we'd go up on stage and we'd, we'd think it's a great scene because the audience laughed. Every time the audience laughed, I thought that, oh, this was, this was a really good scene. And while that could be a good metric, that, that could be something that, yes, you entertained the audience, that is not the only metric. And uh, the, the bigger key factor is putting the spotlight on your co-actor and understanding what character they are playing reacting instead of acting so if they are playing a certain character and they are they're conversing with you in a certain way where they're expecting you to be this you know this uh, relation relation with that character then you would have to play that particular character that they are expecting and respond in a, in a certain way which means at all times your entire focus on this is on this character's words and what they are saying now, add to that a scene in which it perhaps might not be two characters, it might be three or four characters, and then they're all speaking. And remember, it is unscripted, so you could be talking over each other. So eye contact and making sure that it is your turn to speak. And how do you know that in an unscripted scenario is, once again, a lot of practice and a lot of really understanding uh, each other and knowing that whether I should speak here and I'm expected to give this answer because this character expects me to talk here and making it look organic. Now going back to a meeting, you'd see that oftentimes there are some people that are uh, that are contributing more in the meeting. They're the ones who are talking more and there could be some people who are not doing that much. Uh, if you are the person who is running the meeting, it is firstly very key to understand like I said before, that every character should be there for a purpose. So it's fine if a person is not 
contributing as much because perhaps they are learning more in this meeting and they're taking it back. But make sure there is something for them to take back and find ways for them to incorporate their thoughts as well. If they are not contributing vocally about some ideas, is that because they are new new and learning about things and they are taking their time or is it because they're too shy to speak up in the meeting they're too shy to speak up to the meeting you probably you probably need to change your style a little bit so that they feel comfortable to uh, contribute or if they another thing could be that they might not be so shy but they might be just thinking that their idea is not does not have so much weight behind it and hence they might be like maybe this is not the time to contribute. And again, those those things have to be understood. Uh, and at all times, I'm thinking of myself as a person that's on stage who's trying to understand these dynamics because the audience expects a scene that is scripted or that is organic. And you are really paying attention to everybody. And while you are making a scene and building a scene and having a story there and playing your character, being in your character. It is also a constant like multitasking of like which character is saying what and what what are they doing, which is what I'm doing in a meeting as well. So that that's that would be something that I would say for character yeah, development makes, and maintaining that. It makes me wonder how often you have uh, an implicit storyline that you think or want even a meeting to come to. And in fact through that process, it's, it's not at all the same direction or it doesn't end in the same place because of the other characters. And I also wonder, you know, sort of as a leader and a manager, sometimes, you know, you have to have a certain objective outcome, which means you override the script. And, you know, how do those, how do those things play out? That's a great, great segue to the third uh, kind of pillar that I lean on, which I am sure um, a lot of people have heard about and probably even practice, which is uh, yes and. And uh, just pertaining to your question about like where sometimes you might have to override script because this is after all the engineering world and this is uh, the engineering meeting. And there will be times where you would uh, you would have a different opinion um, than what has been discussed in the meeting or uh, somebody else brings something up and that is only because sometimes you might have a meeting just because you're going to, you're going to discuss three different solutions or four different solutions and then discuss trade-offs and go towards one so it is quite obvious that in such meetings you'd, you'd not be uh, saying yes all the time but let, let us just hold that thought for one second and first kind of understand the crux of yes and because it took me a long time to really understand yes and. I was aware of it even before I did improv. And it seemed like something, if somebody says something and you say yes to it um, and kind of agree to it and keep, keep going on from there, that would be it. But it became kind of difficult as I started doing it on stage. Because the, at, at the crux of yes and, it's not just the yes, it is the and as well, which means the building. So a quick demo would be something like, say, I say a line like, uh, it is such a warm, bright summer day today. Then the other character is responding to, to it like, yeah, it is. The scene wouldn't move forward if that person just stopped. But yes, it is. Because now the first character has to think of something else to say as well. And then on, on a stage where you don't have a script and people are watching you, that might become a little too nerve wracking. So both the characters need to build. So 
one character is saying something like, wow, it is such a nice, bright summer day today. The other character says, yes, indeed it is. And summer days like this remind me of childhood and grandma's. Now, suddenly there's a lot to explore because now there is on the top of the the summer, bright summer day, the other character has now incorporated the concept of nostalgia, which means perhaps they could be siblings or maybe cousins and they're going to talk about the summers that they have spent at grandma's and the story becomes relatable because a lot of us would relate to that story, right? So now coming back again to that engineering meeting, focusing on the ad, somebody said something, you're saying yes to it and then you're building on that. So with building on that, I take it as contribution. So this and, I take it as a contribution. And now going back to the times when you have different opinions, in, uh, in meetings, we often talk about a concept called disagree and commit, right? Where it is like, all right, even if we have disagreed, we'll commit and we'll, we'll just move forward to that. But even in my own career, I've seen a lot of times where it's very hard to do that because you were so attached to your original idea that after committing, you're still going back and thinking, I still thought that that, that particular idea was better. And in such situations, I, I rely on that and, which is contribution. Even it was somebody else's idea, which I was not gen in originally on board with. Once a commitment has been made, I try to contribute to that idea. By doing a contribution, an active contribution, I have suddenly put a stake. And by putting a stake, now I have, I would want to make this a success, even if it was something that I probably disagreed with initially. And so I view yes and as um, a commitment plus a contribution. So it's a con it's a totality of the of the two concepts, and and that is why I, I've seen that I've had uh, easier time with you know committing to anything that even if I had I was not hundred percent on board with because now it is like the entire team's idea. It strikes me that uh, micromanagers would not survive long in your organization? Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, like e e even with even with that, uh, there are ways to kind of understand where that micromanaging is coming from and there are ways to play with that. But yes, uh, it is, it, the, this entire way that I'm talking about, it's dependent a lot on situational leadership and understanding how that particular person or the person that you're working with would, would be comfortable. Absolutely, um, you have a lot of fast trust going on there. You know, people, I, I imagine your onboarding goes quickly. There's an indoctrination into the way that the organization starts to work. And um, unless everybody learns these tools one way or another, you're going to have the no but people instead of the yes and. Um, and I, so I imagine there's, a, there's an attrition there that as the organization grows and gets better, uh, you don't get a lot of chance to be the stick in the mud. And I, I hope, you know, obviously you, you bring people along and you try to make it work. But my, my guess is that, uh, you know, things evolve and sometimes an, an organization accelerates past the no but folks and, and they wind up somewhere else. Um, yeah, such situations uh, could happen. And there's also coaching that is happening on the on the side, too. It's very um, important to understand even the people that are no-butting, where that is coming from. Like, for example, again, going up on stage, there could be people that are really no-butting. A good example I would give is that 
I would think that I was a very supportive actor, but there were times that my director made me realize that I was no butting all the time. For example, if I go up on stage and the, uh, the co-actor says a line of dialogue, something like, mm, something like, I think I'm really stupid. And then I would go because I, I'm, you know, by personality, I'm the supportive person. I'd be like, no, you're not. You're this amazing person. And then the director would be like, no, cut that because you just know what your co-actor. And like, what am I supposed to say? That, yes, you are a stupid person. So it, then the director would be like, no, you can say something like, yeah, aren't we all? Some, something like that. Like you're, you're saying yes, but at the same time, uh, you are not making this person like, you know, look bad. But saying yes is important because this person just put a concept out there. So now going back to the no-but people in the organization at work, uh, I would really work with them on the side and, and try to understand that firstly, do they realize what that no-but is doing or that they are even no-butting because they could be, they might not be aware of that. And you'd actually be surprised how many people uh, with the right coaching understand and want to help the team and want to do things that would, that would work, uh, work in favor. So I think, there are very few people that would be like, no, I'm still going to do it because I want to be the jerk. So, and then those people wouldn't perhaps survive uh, in the art, but most people would be coachable and would be able to do the right thing. I love that. It's this great insights. I can already think of some times that I do it. So I'm going to be reevaluating my yes. ands. I try very hard. You know, thank you so much for these insights. This, this is a lot of fun and uh, we look forward to sharing it with the audience. Thank you so much. I'm happy to share them. And I, it was great talking to you as well, Ledge. Thank you so much for having me uh, on this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch. And we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.